0: Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Um, Let me ask you a question this morning. How certain are you? How certain are you concerning the things in your life? I'll never forget a few years ago uh, when I got the call from the doctor, I was uh, sitting in the van outside of Trinity's piano teacher's house and the call was, your MRI came back and you have a very large cyst on your pancreas. Which brought a lot of uncertainty. Several months of uncertainty of trying to figure out what that was about and I remember praying and I remember knowing that God would answer my prayer, but not being sure if the will, my will, that I was praying for, matched up with His will. I knew whatever He would do would be good, I just didn't know how painful if it would be painful for me. I knew that I was praying to watch my kids grow up, to walk my girls down the aisle, but I didn't know if that's what God wanted. Was it certain? This morning, we read a prayer with certainty. Because it is the righteous Son of God praying the will of his father praying in perfect harmony with his father's will so we're we're reading a prayer this morning that's actually for us that Jesus prayed 2000 years ago for us today the people sitting in this room that are in Christ he prayed for us and it is a prayer of absolute perfect certainty and here's what he prayed starting in verse 20 i do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word jesus just got done praying for more specifically for his disciples and now his prayer turns to everyone who would believe in Him through the disciples' teachings, which is us. Verse 21, that they, all, that they may all be one just as You, Father, are in Me and I in You, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that You have sent Me. The glory that You have given Me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are. Are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So This morning, I want us to look at that Jesus prays. For us to be one. okay, And he he got specific specific things that he wanted us to be one in. And so what we want to look at is, is several of the things mentioned here and how we are to be one. How Christ makes us one. First, we're to be one in the truth. Jesus lays out the foundation of the unity of his people. What will be the thing that unites them? What will be, will it be how they all dress? Will it be their diet? Will it be how they all eat? Will it be their race, their skin color that unites them? Is it going to be their economic status? Are they all going to be rich or are they all going to be poor? No, it would be none of that. It will be what they do. It will be what people do with the truth passed down by the disciples. What it says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word. So it's a, That's the oneness. That's the foundation of the oneness is, is, is the ones who believe in in the word that the disciples teach. And what is the word that the disciples teach? It's Christ and His gospel. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it says this. Paul writes this, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our Gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you are taught by us either by our spoken word or by our letter. So how does Paul know that these Christians at Thessalonica are beloved. That they are the chosen of God. It's because they received the apostles' teachings. They received it as truth, as things not handed to them by Paul or by man, but handed down from God. The... The the authority of the church is not historical authority. It's not about tracing this pope to this pope to this pope back to Peter. And it's not in traditional Baptist situations where uh, landmarkism where, oh, it's got to be, you've got to track your church through this church, through this church, through this church, all the way back to the apostles. And if you can't do that, then you're not really a church. No, the authority of a church comes with whether or not it holds the apostles' teachings. It's an apostolic authority that's granted to those who receive and protect and love the teachings of the apostle, which were the teachings of Christ, the Gospel. We unify around a set of truths about who Christ was and what he did this is what establishes the church this is what this is how we know what a true church is but not only is it important that we like Paul said like receive it receive it but we also must protect it it's our responsibility to protect it I remember as a kid there were these hunting videos that I'd watch right as Every year I'd watch the same ones right around the time hunting season was approaching. And I remember this particular uh, brand or whatever, their spokesperson, at the end of the hunt video he would say, and remember, we don't inherit the earth from our children. uh, I'm sorry, we don't inherit the earth from our fathers. We borrow it for our children. I thought that was a pretty good way to look at conservation. Hey, take care of things you're not... It's not just that you inherited it from your father, you're borrowing it from your children. So, hey, let's hunt well, let's, let's make sure animals are here for our kids to enjoy. But I think that's a great th- way of thinking also about the Gospel. That the Gospel that was entrusted to the disciples who then entrusted it to the, the next generation all the way down to Wyatt Baptist Church in 2019. That we did not just receive that gospel but we are to protect it we didn't just receive it from our fathers and our grandfathers and our mothers and grandmothers we are protecting it from our children and giving it to our children d.a. carson says this he says losing the gospel doesn't happen all at once it's much more like a four-generation process The Gospel is accepted. The Gospel is assumed. The Gospel is confused. And then the Gospel is lost. May you never hear a sermon here at Wyatt that does not advance and protect the Gospel. May there never be a Sunday school class or uh, a WANA class uh, time that your ch- kids experience or that you experience that does not seek to protect and advance the gospel. Martin Luther was asked one time, "Pastor, you just every time we come here, it's it's always the gospel. It's always about what Christ has done and and all that stuff." And Luther said, "And I will continue because every." Week you're tempted to forget it. Every week you're tempted to rely on your own righteousness or, or tempted to despair in your own sin. And you need to be reminded every time you can of the gospel. Every church that abandons or assumes the gospel has ceased or will soon cease to be a church. We must in unity hold tightly to the teachings that were handed down to us by the disciples. This is the foundation of our oneness. A love and a protection of the Gospel handed down. We're also to be one in spirit. Not just one in truth, but one in spirit. Verse 21, that they may all be one Just as You, Father, are in Me and I in You. That they may also may be in us so that the world may believe that You have sent Me. The glory that You have given Me, I have given to them so that they may be one even as we are one. Think about that. Think about what Jesus is praying there. That... And I don't think we can ever be as perfectly one as the Father, Son, and Spirit are one. But I think what what Jesus is praying here is that that should be our aim. That it's it goes beyond just being nice to one another. It It goes beyond just keeping the peace between one another. It is a spiritual unity. A oneness that is unlike anything else that is that is more alike, more like the unity of the Father and the Son and the Spirit than is like any other unity that is experienced on this earth. Now, like the Father and the Son, we are in our persons distinct, right? Jesus is not the Father. And the Father is not Jesus. Jesus here, He's not praying to Himself. They are not the same. They have different roles. They are different persons. And yet, along with the Holy Spirit, they exist in absolute perfect unity. They possess the same righteousness and uh, character. They, They are absolutely one in their love for one another and their love for mankind. They are one in the way that they share glory. Even in this prayer, We have Jesus praying earlier, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that Your Son may glorify You. And after His work is complete, He's going to return with the glory He had with the Father before the world existed. So they are distinct, and yet they are still together. They are distinct but one. So it is with the church. We are a congregation of, of very different people. Different temperaments, different style preference, different types of profession. Some of us are white-collar, some of us are blue-collar. We come in different colors and speaking different languages. God's desire for us is not to make us someone make us one boring, monolithic blob. This is certainly not what we saw when Brother Josh read from Revelation earlier. What do we see? We see a group of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation pointing out that there is diversity in the worshipers of of Christ. They're one in their worship and their adoration of Christ. But they still remain distinct. We're even going to have differences in our theology, our theological differences. How the end times are going to play out. How sovereignty and, and the will of man work together. Uh, I love the story of Wesley, John Wesley and Whitfield, uh, Both being... Peers of one another, both being evangelists that had a fire for the gospel and seeing people come to know the gospel. Wesley being more of the free will mindset. Whitfield being more of the Calvinistic mindset. And this, they had a very public debate, a very public ongoing debate about this. So much so that, I mean, they, they had teams, right? They had, hey, I'm with Wesley, I'm with Whitfield. And after Whitfield died, one of Wesley's team members asked him, because of this great debate they had, she asked, Will, Wesley, do you think you'll see Whitfield in, in heaven? And uh, Wesley said, "No, nah. no." Nah. And the, the woman just kind of said, I, "I was afraid of that." And to which Whitfield said, "Do not misunderstand me, madam. George Whitfield was so bright a star in the firmament of God's glory, and will stand so near the throne. The one like me, who am less than the be- the least, will never catch glimpse of him." That's beautiful. That's a man who I mean, we had differences. We had theological differences, but we love the gospel. And because we love the gospel, I can say with certainty not only will my friend be in heaven that I fought with, but he'll be nearer to the throne that I won't catch a glimpse of. What beauty. Even in diversity, even in diversity is something as important as theology. Yet, the most important point of theology Wesley at least believed that they agreed on and that is the Gospel. And Christ's substitutionary death. The Father and the Son, they exist in perfect unity. The love and the care that they have for one another, They, they seek the glory of the other before the first man was created, there was this glorious fellowship of unity, and that is what Jesus is praying for us to have for one another. Our seventh core value as a church is is unity in Christ-centered community, and I want to remind you of what it says. It says, this is what we have believed that we will value as a church. We believe that God has brought together a diverse group of people for the health of the church and for His glory. Out of many cultural, ethnical, economical, and generational backgrounds, we are called to become one family in Christ. We will work diligently to maintain our unity with one another and to not allow these diversities to become divisive. When unity is shaken, we will seek restoration in a scriptural manner. We will address our issues by speaking to one another, not about one another. Regarding matters of the gospel, we require unity. Regarding non-essentials, essential matters, we seek liberty, but in all matters we seek to love one another. Amen. aren't you glad we value those things as a church? Just like the gospel, we must protect. In every generation, the spiritual unity of the church. I'm going to seek that out, protect it with all of our hearts, Just to aim for that impossible but glorious goal of being one as the Father and the Son are one. Next, we're to be one in mission. Notice that even in this prayer for us, Even in this prayer for the church, Jesus has concern for the world. He mentions them three times. Verse 21, And that they will all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 23, I in them and you and me that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and, and loved them even as you love me. Verse 25, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. Even in this paragraph where Jesus is praying for His church three times, He's got, also got an eye for the world that's looking in on His people. And His desire is that The world would see his people and that it would cause them to believe. Do we have a unity among us that would cause the world looking in to believe that Christ was who he said he was? When they look at the church, do they see a reflection of the distinct but unified Trinity? When they see the way that we outdo one another as Scripture commands us in showing each other honor, do they see something that boggles their minds so much that they question their disbelief in God and begin to think that maybe He exists. We live in a world where there seems to be no common places. Man, the political climate is hot, y'all. Right? And it used to be, no matter where we were politically, you know, we could go to a concert there's a crowd and enjoy a concert, or we could go to a movie together. We especially can go, you know, to a sport, sporting event and just be together, be one for once. It seems like those days are gone. There is no common area. Everything, everything in, in our life, politically, There's no common ground anymore. You can't do anything without offending or being offended. There's no common ground. And I would say to you, there's never been a time in the history of the world, maybe, where unity would stand out more. Where we have more of an opportunity in Christ to see people come together and find that common ground. That the world would go, this is unlike anything that's going on in the world. Everybody else hates each other. Everybody that has differences hates each other. And yet there's a group of people meeting at Wyatt Baptist Church that though they are different, they find common ground in Christ. Does the world looking in see us as so together? that it makes them question everything that they hold. May we as a church treat each other with such love and respect and unity that the world would be shocked into belief by it. That's what Jesus prayed. Second, do they see a oneness and affection for Christ in this Gospel that would present Christ as valuable? Do they see us united in a, a love? Of the gospel. If foundational to our oneness is our belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Passed down through the disciples. Does the world looking in see our passion for that? I would. Maybe even more convicting. I would ask. Do your kids. Unbelieving kids in your house. When they see your life. Do they see a passion for the gospel? Do they see a passion for the teachings of Christ? Or do they just see you as a family that, hey, we, we go to this place on Sunday and we do a thing, but the rest of the week it's life as usual? Or do they see a, a, a love that we all have for the gospel? How, how much do the truths that you hold about Christ inspire the world around you looking in do people at your work look at you and say that person everything about them is different because of what they believe something else on on this point i would say is does the world see in us god's love for us that would cause them to believe in christ it's it's a really interesting thing that's said in verse 23 that I've racked my brain on and you know, maybe, maybe I understand it. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. I mean, I, I think about, you know, okay, I get it. The world looks looks in and sees Our unity and therefore they say well maybe maybe there's something to this God thing or they look in and they see the gospel that we all love and they say "I, I believe that but this is pretty specific this is the world looking in and saying hey the father loves them the same way he loves his son I mean that's pretty deep theology for a worldly person to look in and see so I was thinking about that and it's got to be the only way that the world can see and be convinced of that kind of extravagant love that the father loves us the same way he loves his son is that they would see the effects of God's love on our lives from eternity past the love of the father And the Son has been perfect. It is the perfect standard of love. And it is the same love that the Father has for the Son is what He has for us. And I would ask you, how is that reality changing you? How is being loved like that changing you in such a way that the world would look in and see it as real and something worth going after? This kind of love should bring us security. In a, in a turbulent world in and in a flesh within us that so often seeks to take us down and fail us, fail God, God's love for us remains perfectly true. Do they see in us a confidence that comes from that kind of love that in a turbulent world, and I'm loved. I'm loved perfectly. In a world where so many people who claim to love us, they want so much from us. They need so much from us. And yet the Father and the Son love us not because of what they can get out of us, because they're perfectly, they're perfectly happy, they're perfectly joyful, but because of that overflow. They've chosen to bring us in to be a part of that love. Does that love set you free to to serve others in a way that your God has served you? When the world looks in, do they see a thirsty soul? It's just looking around every corner for new pleasures. Every time they turn around, you're looking for something Else to satisfy you, or do they see in you a love that satisfies you, that satisfies your soul? The radical love of God in Christ should, should be apparent in all of our lives. It should be transformative when we think about the fact that the Father loves us the same way He loves the Son. That's crazy. I don't even understand that. And yet it's right here in the words of Christ. Are we moved? Are we living? Are we acting in such a way that makes that truth apparent to others? And we are also i just one in truth, one in spirit, and one in mission. We are one in our destination. Jesus prays in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Folks, Our journey is uncertain. I can't promise you anything about your journey. I can't make any promises of what's going to happen to you today, later, much less this week or this month or this year or this decade. It may be the greatest, or it may be sorrow after sorrow after sorrow after sorrow. It's uncertain. Not, not, nobody here can make any guarantees that everyone you love right now is going to make it to 2020 with you. You can't even promise you that you're going to make it into 2020. It's a roller coaster, folks. Who knows what's around the next bend? And yet, and yet. Our destination is certain. Because Christ prayed here that they may be with Me and see Me in My glory. The journey, y'all, it's hard. It's crooked. It's painful. But the destination is good and perfect. And it's not floating around on clouds playing hearts. I can't tell you what it is because it says... The best things that I've imagined, I can't comprehend how great it's going to be. First Corinthians two nine. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. I can tell you that if you are in Christ this morning, then your destination is certain, and it is to be with Christ for all of eternity, enjoying and beholding His glory. What a great comfort. I just want, as we conclude here, just to conclude with with Christ's conclusion to His prayer. He prays this, and it's really amazing. It's It's a vow that He makes to His Father. He says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know You, I know You and these know that You have sent Me. I made known to them Your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which You have loved Me may be in them, and I in them." Jesus makes a vow to His Father. And that vow is this, is that I've made Your name known, and I will continue Doing so. We know earlier in the prayer, Jesus defined eternal life as this, that they may know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is the knowing of God. And Jesus vows to the Father. That's a vow, folks, you can take to the bank. And that vow is this, is that he has made the Father's name known and he's going to continue to do so. I want you to know if you're here this morning and you're not one in the church, if, you're, if you've never trusted Christ, I want you to know something is that you know what Christ is still doing? You know what he continues to do? He continues to make God known. And so if He is making God known to your heart and your need for Christ this morning, respond. Believe. This is what, this is what the Son has vowed. And I would say to you, Christian, that, that Christ continues to make God known to you. That that's His vow. That He will not only on the day of your salvation make God known, but throughout your life and throughout all eternity He is making the Father known. If you would pursue Him, if you would pursue that knowledge, if you would open up your Scriptures, if you would pray to Him, that He will make make God known more and more and more to your soul and bring that amazing joy to you that comes with knowing God more. aren't you glad aren't you glad this morning that we have an answered prayer here we have an answered prayer here and Christ prayed some amazing wonderful things for us let us be one in these amazing prayers of Christ I ask you to please stand as our musicians come I'm going to Say a word of prayer and then ask that you respond however God has placed on your heart to respond this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for this prayer. Thank You that it was spoken and thank You that we can read it and that we can have confidence that we can be certain that it will be answered. God, help us to be one, to be one in the truth, to love and protect the gospel, to be one in spirit, to to seek a unity like you and and, and your son and your spirit have. God, help us to be one in your mission. We would be engaged in, in helping the world see the truth. God, thank you that we are, have confidence that we have one destination in you. God, move in us. Help us to respond to those wonderful truths this morning.